0: This year's Nobel Prize in Economics and Science has been handed to Richard Thaler, one of the fathers of behavioural economics, for his work on the flaws of homo economicus. That's assuming human beings are predictably irrational. Is the most rational approach to studying their behavior. Even before being awarded the Nobel Prize in Economics, he was already well known for his best-selling book, Nudge, and for appearing alongside pop star Selena Gomez in the movie The Big Short, where he explained how human mistakes contributed to the financial crisis. It's our great honor to invite him on the show today to kick off our new 2017 fall season. Professor Richard Thaler, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure. You also teach at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, uh, but your title's so long, I have to break it up. Um, It really is great to have you on the line. Now, we've spoken to a few Nobel Prize winners recently, and we've started each one by getting that reaction to hearing the news. What was your thought when you got the call, which I believe came at 4 a.m. when you thought, wait a minute, this is a caller ID from Sweden?
1: Yeah, well, at this point... Um, it's not a total shock in the sense that, you know, your friends are always saying, oh, I hope this is your year and so forth and so on. So when the phone rings at four in the morning and it says Sweden on the front of your cell phone, you have a pretty good idea what they're calling about. It doesn't mean you're not in a state of shock. Uh, but um, I I wasn't surprised who answered the phone once I picked it up.
0: One thing I'm surprised by, though, just reflecting on this, is that they don't just call at a time that suits both parties. They must know it's 4 a.m. where you are when they call.
1: Um, I think they call at a time that suits them. (laughs) Okay. Well, fine. (laughs) And, of course, not all winners are in America, so... Um, if they would just pick more europeans then they would wake fewer people up
0: yeah no but what i mean is if they've researched you enough then they would know presumably where you were but still that aside it's not the worst call to get at 4 a.m by any stretch your story with behavioral economics began i understand when you hosted a dinner party in grad school and you put out a bowl of cashew nuts can you elaborate on that for us Yes, so I had
1: invited some friends over for dinner and, as you say, put out a bowl of cashew nuts that we were nibbling on with cocktails, waiting for something in the oven to finish cooking. And after a few minutes, uh, we had devoured about half of the cashew nuts. And I decided uh, we were about to ruin our appetites. So I picked the bowl up and nibbling a few more myself, (laughs) went and hid it in the kitchen. And when I came back, it being a group of economics graduate students, we immediately started analyzing it. It just shows you you don't want to have too many economists at a dinner party. (laughs) But uh, we came up with two conclusions. One was that everyone thanked me. Oh, Thank God you got rid of those cashew nuts. And uh, the other was uh, realizing that we actually weren't allowed to be happy about this because a basic axiom of economics is more choices are always better. And we used to have a choice about whether to eat nuts, and now we didn't. So what was that about? And that got me started collecting stories about weird behavior, and uh, one thing
0: led to another. And one thing really has led to another, and it's put you at times on a collision course with some fellow economists, hasn't it? Because some don't feel that behavioral science has such an important role to play in this field. Um, How would you like to briefly respond to those critics, as I know you've done in the past?
1: Well, you know, I think those critics are becoming more scarce. And, you know, there's this old saying from Max Planck that science marches on one funeral at a time. Mm. And what I've found is that I've not changed very many people's minds over the years, but I've corrupted a lot of young people. (laughs) And the growth of the field really has been uh, that young people have gotten excited about it and taken it up. And, you know, if some old people... Uh, even older than me, got their noses bent out of shape, so be it.
0: What other examples can you share with us since that early case of the cashew nuts uh, that that would really hammer this point home for us?
1: Well, you, you know, the, the idea that we put forward in our book Nudge that I wrote with my friend Cass Sunstein, uh, distinguished law professor, is that small features of the environment can change people's choices uh, in ways that are, again, very surprising to economists. Perhaps the most well-known example is the idea of automatically enrolling people into pension plans. Mm. So here in the U.S., the system used to be, that when you were first eligible to join the plan, you'd get a big pile of forms to fill out. And if you filled them out and picked the funds you wanted and so forth, then you were in. And we had the idea, why not switch the default? So send people the same pile of forms, but the top one says, you're now eligible for the plan, and unless you fill out these forms, we're going to enroll you at this saving rate and in this default fund, and so forth. That strategy is remarkably successful. About 90% of people enroll. And it was used a couple of years ago in a national retirement saving plan rolled out in the UK. And uh, the opt-out rate has been less than 10%. So a great success.
0: And when you speak of this word nudge, um, for those who've not enjoyed your work yet, can you there, there are those people? I d- well, somewhere. I believe, you know, maybe, uh, yeah. maybe okay. you have to call yeah. them at 4 a.m. Maybe they've, they've read it
1: and forgot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, tell us exactly how diverse this word nudge can be.
1: Well, it's really borrowing some ideas, not just from behavioral science, but also from the world of design. I think of trying to make the world as easy to use as an iPhone. And, you know, you get a new iPhone, you open it up, and you kind of immediately know how to use it. And instead, the world is full of things that you have to read a 40-page manual, and you still are puzzled about how to do it. Mm. And uh, much of government works that latter way. So what we've tried to do is just make things simpler and easier. So an example is... In the U.S., many students apply for loans from the government to finance their university education. And the applications, many students told me, was the hardest part of getting admitted to a to university. The loans were coming from the government. The information they needed was tax returns from the students' parents. And, of course, the government has that data. So we said, why not fill the form out for the student? and just have them sign that it's all okay. That has saved students thousands of hours, and and more importantly perhaps, gotten more students to go to university because it removed one hurdle.
0: It almost feels like you're dealing with, with real economics, uh, if I can use that term, in the respect that maybe that's what's so accessible about your work, the fact people can pick it up and it, they don't get lost in in theory. Do you think governments need to pay more attention to that, too? Because often economic policies of the government, uh, they take place in the abstract.
1: Well, I think that, you know, economists have long had a monopoly on advising governments. Uh, At least in the U.S., governments are run by lawyers advised by economists. And um, if economic models are wrong because they have the wrong... Characterization of the agents in the economy, then their predictions will be wrong. And so, for example, economists would have predicted that this automatic enrollment idea wouldn't have any effect because it only takes five minutes to fill out the form and the pension can be worth tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. Surely people will fill out the form if it's worth that. And that's wrong. And I think. Uh, Many government policies can be improved just with a little common sense and a little behavioral science.
0: We have more and more people in our society starting up their own businesses. They might not necessarily have an economics background. Would you encourage them to toy around... Uh, with unpredictable behaviors uh, t- t- to try to find s- something that works for them, rather than just going with the tried and tested uh, that that seems to be the most common sense thing to do when you start a new business? Uh,
1: certainly the lesson I've learned is when you ask the question, why do we do something such and such a way, and the answer is, because that's the way we've always done it, uh, an alarm bell should go off. And the story of my career, and uh, I've found dealing with business firms, many of them are doing things just because that's always the way it's been done. And of course, they end up losing to firms like Amazon or Apple that find or Google, that uh, break all the rules and find new ways of doing things.
0: Well, Professor Thaler, it's been really good to have you. I think that advice transcends beyond business as well. We should all ask ourselves why we do things a bit more often. It's wonderful having you on the line. Also, I think one of the most entertaining Nobel Prize winners we've had the pleasure of speaking from.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Professor Richard Thaler from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. But as I said before, uh, many more attributions there as well, D nudge bestseller, for example, that you might want to check out?